This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne, the edges of his robe filling the temple. Winged creatures were stationed around him. Each had six wings. With two they veiled their faces, with two their feet, and with two they flew about. They shouted to each other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. The doorframe shook at the sound of their shouting, and the house was filled with smoke. I said, Mourn for me, I'm ruined. I'm a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heavenly forces. Then one of the winged creatures flew to me, holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed, and your sin is removed. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom should I send, and who will go for us? I said, I'm here. Send me. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks, Thanks be to be God. God. Amen. <clears throat> Good morning, friends. I am Kathy Sweeney. I'm one of the pastors here at Arapahoe United Methodist Church in Richardson. Uh, Pastor Scott sends his blessings to you. He is out scoping out some other churches who are currently providing outside worship so that we can begin that next week with some creativity and with some of the best practices that are, that are being used right now. And as you've heard earlier, uh, this is our last week of Bible on Broadway. We're real excited to be able to bring this series to you every September. And one of the interesting things that, that we can see in the Broadway musicals is that sometimes, like in Music Man and in Annie, there's a story that goes from start to ending, and there's character development of one person. And then sometimes there's a newer musical that maybe we haven't seen. Maybe we haven't uh, understood all of it, but we can get some of the themes related. And then there are some musicals like Ragtime or like Les Mis or like Phantom, where there are so many interwoven stories and songs and themes that we have to find a way to summarize it and really get the loud voice that comes out of it. And so that's what I'm gonna try to do for you right now. Ragtime is basically a story about individuals and, and groups that are in mourning in a way. They're in mourning at what they thought this country, the United States of America, was supposed to be and how they identified with that. Each of the individuals uh, have a certain aspect of understanding of what being American is in the early 1900s. And we learn that each is disillusioned with the America that they find. First, there's Tata. He's an Eastern European German immigrant who, with his daughter, come in a ragship boat and land at Ellis Island, the ragship boat. You can imagine very poor immigrants. He's a talented artist, and for a while he tries to make do uh, and make money and make a living for he and his daughter by, by sketching and cutting those silhouettes that are in the round oval 
frames. And he makes some money, but not enough to live. He's recruited by the socialist movement that is taking part in that time. And he says, no, thank you. I left that. I'm not in interested in joining you. And then the appalling happens. Someone comes and offers for money to buy his daughter. And he asks, what is this world that I have come to? What is this America that I didn't know? Certainly, this is not what he had dreamed. So he moves to what he thought was safety in Boston. There's another character, creatively named Mother, who lives in New Rochelle. She's a wealthy white woman, lives there with her husband and her son and her father. And her brother comes in uh, every once in a while and lives in the area. It's a nice, quiet neighborhood of New Rochelle. And her life lacked diversity. It lacked diversity um, of color of skin. It lacked diversity of any economic difference in, in what she had, except for maybe the housekeepers that were in her house. Um, lacked diversity until she found a baby, a black baby, laying in the garden. Her husband had gone on an expedition to the North Pole, and so her normal uh, mode of operation of asking, what should I do, was gone. And she had to make these decisions for herself and was challenged when police found a young black woman named Sarah hovering in the area. And she agreed to bring the woman and her child into her home. And she starts a new journey, one that has her eyes open to racial discrimination and challenges for African Americans at the time. And then there's Cole House Walker. Cole House was a black musician, a successful pianist. He was living in Harlem at the time, which, was a very, uh, which, which could be a very wealthy part of Harlem for him, and he showed people that he had in fact made it in this, in this America, made it as a successful man by buying a Model T Ford. It was the height of success at the time. He heads to New Rochelle where his, his lost love, Sarah, was living with mother and father, and their newborn son, and they make arrangements to marry. But racism and white supremacy step on that and make it impossible. And so Colehouse leaves to cry out for justice, to recruit members of a group to join him in protest, and that eventually leads to violence. Anything here sounding familiar yet? There's a whole lot more to that musical, and I really encourage you to listen to it, or if you don't want to listen to the musical, watch the film that is out there. It's two and a half hours, so give yourself time, but it's heartbreaking, and you're going to learn more about it in this sermon. So to summarize, there's three groups in the 1900s, the immigrants, the wealthy, the African Americans. They all have expectations of society, and they're all disillusioned in what they find. So here's the thing. Each of those characters had to find a way to get through that disillusionment. They had to find a way to push through that, and they needed something to help them do that, which makes me ask the question, how does our faith guide us when we are disillusioned? I'll turn now to Isaiah, to our reading, the commissioning of Isaiah, and give you some background on that. In chapters 1 through 5, Isaiah is having these visions these visions of, of what's going on. The northern kingdom of Israel has fallen. Um, it's being taken over by the Assyrians. 
um, the Judah and Jerusalem, in, in a short phrase, not good what's going on there. People had turned their back on God, and, and uh, sin was everywhere. And in his visions, he sees devastation and despair, that things are going to get worse if they don't uh, improve or people change their ways. But he's also got these visions of hope and the fulfillment of peace that get weaved into that, that all nations will stream into God's kingdom that we read in chapter 2. But Isaiah doesn't, doesn't look through that. He, he doesn't, it's easy to overlook that, and so he focuses on the devastation, which brings us to chapter 6, Isaiah in the temple. He's lamenting that he's participated in this turning our back on God and, and, and going in ways that's not, not, our, not God's call. He's as sinful and as unclean as the others, and he's saying, why, God, why, God, why are you sending these visions to me? So God sends the seraphs. These are these winged creatures, and they have all the, these six wings that are going on, and they're symbolic of purity and light. And they fly over to the hot coals, the hot wooden coals, and pick them up with tongs, which I tend to, to uh, shout out to my barbecue friends out there for bringing up tongs in the wooden. It's got to be some kind of barbecue reference, right? They come over and they touch the coal, the seraphs touch the coal, the hot coal, to Isaiah's lips. And they proclaim that his guilt has departed and his sin has been forgiven. And the Lord asks, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. He goes just like he's called and he shares these oracles, these oracles about how the people in different lands will bring about their own destruction, that because of power and land grabs and wars, all these cities will fall. Yes, even Jerusalem, he says, if the people continue on this current course. But, Isaiah says, but there's a sign of hope. A young woman, a virgin, shall bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel, God with us, we hear in chapter 7. Isaiah describes in chapter 11 that peace can be ours and will come. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. On Wednesdays at noon, we are participating in Facebook Live on a story about our stained glass windows here at Arapahoe. There's plenty of time, three more lessons if you care to join us. This particular stained glass that you're seeing on the screen, see in the upper left? It represents the hands with the coal that come down and touch Isaiah's lips. It represents below the stump of Jesse with the branch shooting out from it and the star of Bethlehem that shines bright over all of this. Isaiah continues, the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. You hear this at Advent almost every year. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. There will be a peaceable kingdom. It's a prophecy that we hear over and over from Isaiah who is the voice of God and reminds the people that there is hope, that God is here, that justice will prevail, and that despite humanity's missteps, the grace of God is here and it's available to everyone. Isaiah said, here I am. Let me speak your words. 
let me step into prophetic action. He continued on through centuries. Here's a surprise. Isaiah is not just one person. The book of Isaiah tells actually three different stories and gives, gives credit to the fact that we're going to keep making mistakes over and over and over. And someone's going to keep reminding us that there is still hope, that this is going on, that, that Isaiah wasn't just one voice. It was many voices over many wars and many years of, of missteps. But there's always hope in the story. So where does that leave us with the movie Ragtime? Well, I can tell you that we aren't all prophets, but we can all take prophetic action based on our faith. Would it surprise you to hear that each of the characters I talked about before, representing the three groups in the musical, they find their voice or find a way to alleviate suffering for themselves or for others? Tata and his daughter, they move to Boston, but they get connected and, and swept up into this labor, mo labor movement protest, and they have to flee for their lives on a train. And there, uh, the daughter is very distraught and upset with what was happening, and so Tata pulls out a book that he had created. You know those books that have different pictures at the top of the corner of every page, and you flip it, and it looks like something's moving? He created that, gave it to her, and she calmed down. But at the same time, someone was watching and said, I'd like a book like that. Can I buy it from you? And Tata had ideas about how he could express himself, how he could create things either through moving picture books or moving film. He could bring joy and happiness to his daughter and to others in real films as, as he helps to proclaim justice and, and bring about harmony and unity. And so he brings them out of poverty by sharing his voice in film. I'm thinking about these spiritual gifts that Paul talks to us about in 1 Corinthians, that we're all given these gifts where we can express ourselves differently. And mother, she learns just how sheltered she's been. What started out as a nice compassionate gesture to help a, a young black mother and her newborn, it grew into a true call to protect the innocent to the point of defying her husband that there was no going back, as you heard in this beautiful uh, song that Aaron, that Aaron had uh, sung b before. What was acceptable in blindness is not anymore when her eyes have been opened. She's changed, and we heard this beautiful song <clears throat> sang for us she can never go back to before. She's changed. She's a new creation. Again, referencing Paul in 2 Corinthians, mother takes on the attitude of Christ, a loving person caring for others, considering herself less than they. She takes prophetic action to relieve suffering in the world, and she can't go back. And finally, Cole House. Cole House Walker, the successful ragtime black musician. I think he's got it the hardest of all. He is so disillusioned. And I say that because he's a victim. He's a victim of racism and discrimination and pitiful acts of injustice. He'd made it, right? This Model T? Didn't that mean anything? The car is, well, to put it mildly, it's damaged by the white supremacist. And Colehouse seeks justice in all the wrong ways. He's got group protests that seek out vengeance, not justice. And they lose any interest in preserving life for those who are causing their suffering. They destroy and steal and cause havoc, all in the name of justice. 
I don't want to give away the full story. But in this pivotal scene, Kohlhaus comes face to face with, with a humbly sacrificial person and reminds Kohlhaus that violence is no way, no way to bring about justice. There's this climactic song that you'll hear in a minute, Make Them Hear You. Kohlhaus convinces his group, this group of vigilantes, to give up the violence and find a way to have their voice heard in nonviolent ways. He helps others find freedom, and in a way, he finds it himself. Kohlhaus finds freedom in the life he always knew, one of love and integrity and honesty. He challenged the group with the words from the song and ensures that his voice is a message that will continue, that justice does lead to freedom, freedom of being a child of God, that message is free to be shared all around the city for everyone for generations to come. Justice proclaimed and sought, that's what comes from each of us when, with our voice. When we're proclaiming this, we use our voice or the words of a movie or a song and we act in humble servants, service for those whom justice has been denied. As Colehouse sings, go out and tell your story to your daughters and your sons. Make them hear you. Your sword can be a sermon or the power of the pen Teach every child to raise their voice. And then, my brothers, then will justice be demanded by 10 million righteous men. Make them hear you. I really wish it were that easy, don't you? I wish it were that swift. I really wish that we could just use our pens and write a happy message about this. I wish that this didn't continue to happen over and over and over again. I wish it could be wrapped up at the ending of a Broadway musical. This week we came face to face with another disillusion in the fight against injustice. I'm referring, of course, to the grand jury decision in the killing of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, that none of the officers will be charged for their actions or results of their actions in the killing Breonna Taylor. Can you for a minute understand how Cole House was so very angry? He was doing everything he thought was right. He was doing everything he was supposed to, and yet nothing was changing. There wasn't justice. It didn't come soon enough, or it didn't come in ways that he demanded. The night that Brianna Taylor died is similar to what happened with Cole House. He took matters into his own hand. And when that decision was announced about Breonna Taylor's grand jury, two police officers were killed that night in protest in Louisville. How do we wrap our head around that? How do we wrap that up in a nice, neat, tidy ending? We can't. We just can't. And I wish I could make sense of it for you. I really do. But I wasn't in that grand jury room. Neither were you. And as my dad office tells me, when I'm, when I'm prideful and when I think I have the answers and when I tell others what, what must have happened, he says to me, well, Kath, there must be something you don't know. And that prompts me to dig, dig deeper and deeper and deeper and try to figure out what's going on and how to respond to God's cry, fix this, my children are suffering. So what do we do? 
Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pick up the mantle of those who have come before. That phrase, pick up the mantle, comes from another prophet, from the prophet Elijah. Elijah, who's taking up to the clouds at the end of his prophetic time in a chariot. And he leaves a cloak behind, a cloak, another word for mantle. He leaves back a mantle that had been used for miracles. And Elisha, his apprentice, picks it up, puts it on, and continues the proclamation. The prophetic voice and action didn't stop then, and they shouldn't stop now. And so we too are called to continue that prophetic action, to voice injustice, to look at the system, the laws that need to be changed, to gather together in solidarity with our siblings, and we change those laws. This is the nature of prophetic action. This is what it means to seek justice, to bring about change in favor of those who are oppressed, oppressed and held captive in poverty with lack of affordable housing, or with illness and lack of health insurance, or yes, oppressed by unjust laws that lead to senseless killings. Doesn't mean that there's never going to be suffering again. It sure doesn't mean that we won't have to learn the same lesson over and over and over. History has a way of repeating itself. Isaiah, centuries, remember? Isaiah and his prophets and the following prophets remind us of the need to repeat that story over and over, to seek justice over and over and over every time we, we need. It's as if when passing the torch, Isaiah and Elijah sing that song you'll hear in a second. Go out and tell the story to your daughters and your sons. Make them hear you. Because unless they hear you, unless we use our voices for good and to seek justice and to proclaim the light of God, the stories and the lessons are lost. Our neighbors will continue to suffer. Like Isaiah, we can't just stick into the despair. There's so much good that's going on, so much happening, seeking justice to lift up the poor and the oppressed and those who mourn and those who suffer in other ways. So don't lose sight of it. Last week, we lost another icon, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She died, and we might feel lonely. We might feel desperate. Whatever your political affi affiliation, some part of your life is, be is better because RBG made arguments. She had passion for using her voice to bring about gender equality in the United States. And while her main goal was to change injustices specific to women, she advocated and made legal arguments to change discrimination of pay and discrimination of tax deductions for childcare deductions. That one, she, she had a plaintiff that was a male. She stood up for those in military service so that all genders received the same housing allowance. RBG made them hear. She used her voice and her pen. She helped others see where there was injustice, and she compelled and convinced the courts to make changes where laws were unjust. Over decades of commitment, this woman, she committed to righting the wrongs of gender equality, and her voice carried a message that equality is for all. She was raised in the Jewish faith, and so I don't want to superimpose the Christian faith unto her voice, but in making proclamations about equality, about embracing identity and claiming identity of gender, of race, and sexual orientation, she carried a message that 
brought hope to all of those who had long been oppressed. She knew that strong voices would be needed in that fight for justice. She may not have had her lips touched with tongs and a hot coal like Isaiah, but she did pick up the mantle and she made life better for many of us. She knew that lessons wouldn't be learned or completed by one judgment in her favor, like Isaiah and Elijah and Elisha. She knew time and time again there would be oppressed people who needed lifting, that injustices were just too easy to continue for those who were in power. So she spoke on behalf of those who couldn't speak for themselves, She spoke and argued about how injustices would lead to inequality and inequity for those who were being harmed. She saw where we were headed, and she tried as hard as she could to warn us and even change our path. She knew one voice wouldn't be enough, and so she encouraged others to join in. And here's what she said to us, what she left us with. Fight for the things that you care about but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. Almost like the Great Commission. Make disciples of all. Make them hear you. And do it in ways that make a statement in the long term. I know we're not all Isaiah, or even Tate, or Mother, or Colehouse. They live their own story. They took their own prophetic action. But they told their story or lived their lives in ways that proclaimed hope for the current and future generations and encouraged those generations to pick up the mantle and continue to bring hope to others. And so shall we, friends. So shall we. Find your voice, our collective prophetic action. Go out and tell the story. Make them hear you. And when they hear you, God will be near you again. May it ever be so. Amen.